My spider senses are starting to tingle. Welcome to the 19th episode of the comic show on Monkeys Fighting Robots. This week, we're talking about Captain America 695 by Mark Wade and Chris Samney, and Port of Earth number 1 by Zach Kaplan over at Image Comics Top Cow. I'm your host, Anthony Composto. I'm also the editor of the comic book section on Monkeys Fighting Robots. Joining me in the conversation is my co-host, co-founder of Monkeys Fighting Robots, Matthew Sardo. Hey, Anthony. How's it going? Glad to be back on the show. We missed you. I missed you, too. Our bromance was fading. Uh, but if you like this show, subscribe on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, you can listen to it on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, feedback is always very welcome. And how I kind of rate this show is if we get comments or if you tweet at us. Like, we really want this conversation to look, kind of start and flourish and grow. Uh, so comments are the best way to give us feedback. And as always, the show is sponsored by Uncanny Heroes in Tampa. There are tons of trades and graphic novels coming out each week at Uncanny Heroes, and every day trades and graphic novels are 25% off. Uncanny Heroes is located at 12904 North 56th Street in Temple Terrace. Check them out on the web at uncannyheroes.com and like them on Facebook at Uncanny Heroes Tampa. Support your local comic book store, people. I really actually, because I live closer to Orlando, you and I live kind of farther apart, but I actually really want to come down there just to go to Uncanny Heroes. And this is, we're done with the ad spot, but I just, I love this 25% off everything because that's my biggest detractor from buying trades in stores is like, why am I paying full price if, you know, online it's a discount, but if they're giving a discount all the time, I'd rather support them. Yeah. And there's a store in Lakeland. They have a store in Lakeland. You don't have to drive all the way down to Tampa. It's kind of, I think that's a comparable distance for me, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but Matt, I'm so glad you're back. It's been like three weeks without you. We missed you. I went, to, I went to two comic book stores this past week. I went to Uncanny Heroes on Wednesday, and then I went to Emerald City on Saturday, and I closed out my subscription with them, because I'm a, I'm a horrible, horrible subscriber. <laughs> I, like, I had tons of books there, and I was like, shit, so many books. Um... But I organized. You're one of those guys. Yeah, but I did. Well, that's the thing. I feel bad. Like I, I would be, if I was the owner, I would be banging down the door to get me to spend my money there. But like when you get the books and we were like reading about them, I was like, shit. Now I got to go pick them up. Blah blah. And like, Uncanny Heroes just wasn't uh, Uncanny Uncanny Heroes. I love Uncanny Heroes. Uh, Emerald City just wasn't a convenient location. I mean, I'm I'm I was a city comic book kid, so you just walk to your comic book store. They were right. close enough where you just did it. So. Um, once I had to start driving and making appointments, I was like, ah, oh, it's tough. Well, dude, we live in Florida. Like, I don't know about you over there in Tampa, St. Pete, but over here where I am, there's nothing within walking distance. Like everything is like a 20 minute drive. I do have a sushi restaurant that's a block away from my house. Is it a good sushi restaurant? Yeah, it's really good. It's All right, that's, that's pretty sweet then. So he's like, I go to my wife, Hey, you want to get sushi? I go to Alice, my like two year old. Want to get sushi? She's like, whatever. Uh, <laughs> Just give me a bowl of rice. I'd, uh, I'd be eating sushi all the. I'd be eating sushi all day if that were me, every man, day. It's good. It's good. Uh, sushi's like American. It's American thing. You know, it's definitely like, you know. Are you appropriating sushi right now? I am because I was trying to transition from sushi into Captain America, and I, I That's think a I, bad epically, I think epically failed. <laughs> yeah, I was like, was... you know what else is American? Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fair. Well, let's do. Let's talk Captain America because I, I really think that we're going to be talking a lot more Marvel in the coming weeks with all these legacy books starting up. Because we talked about Thor while you were gone, now Cap, and there's already books coming out, you know, this week and next week that I can't wait to talk about. And some of these are really good. Like, I'm excited about Marvel again. Yeah, I talked about this when I was at Uncanny Heroes, another plug for Uncanny Heroes. But every two weeks I go to Uncanny Heroes and I talk with the owner and we put the videos up on Facebook and on YouTube and on the website. And uh, Legacy has kind of been like a slow build where like Rebirth was an instantaneous like shitstorm of craziness where people just got excited. Where Legacy, people were just kind of like unsure about things and they're slowly been like, oh, this was a good title. Oh, that was a good title. And like, so it's more of a slow build to Legacy. 
Yeah, and it's kind of been here and there. There have been some books that admittedly haven't landed, and some books Legacy hasn't even started yet. Like with Rebirth, it was like the one-shot came out and then everything was Rebirth. Marvel is still kind of transitioning from pre-Legacy into Legacy. So, But Captain America is definitely one of these flagship books that you should pick up. I, I talked a few weeks ago about Thor, and I kind of mentioned that that was like the center of Legacy because Jason Aaron is kind of the architect but a lot hinges on this Captain America title because Captain America was a something that people had a big problem with that led to re, uh, Legacy. And now they're putting this great team on here, Mark Waid and Chris Samney, who, I mean, this is a team on the scale of like Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. Like I'll read almost anything that these guys are on together because it's just, it's so good. They They did Daredevil, they did Black Widow, and they just have this way of tapping into the core of a character and bringing them back to their roots and making them just feel kind of bright and fun. And Cap Captain America is the character that needed that the most right now. I have like a love-hate relationship with this issue because I don't think Mark Wade was placating to the anti-social justice warrior fanboys that were just whining about Marvel being ruined because the book is so amped up with like, you have one job, you need to defend the people that are weaker than you. Like that's, that's your job, you know? And it's, right. it was, so I like, it's, it's weird because like, I know that the fanboys are going to be like, yay, this is what we wanted, but I don't think they're going to understand the meaning of the book. So that's what I was like. I was trying to figure out like what's going on here because yeah. You know, people that are like, oh, no, blah, blah, you know, anti-social justice warrior, all this other shit. Like, they're missing the meaning of heroes. So they're going to think that Mark Wade is, like, submitting to what they wanted. Meanwhile, he's kind of subliminally throwing their shit back in their face, is what you're saying. Yeah, I'm hoping that the fanboys don't think they won. Yeah, the bad fanboys. Right. The negative, the, the, what, the, um... Oh, what's the phrase that you always use when you're interviewing creators? Nerd rage. The nerd rage fan base. Yeah. I got you. Uh, I, I, what I really liked about this issue is that it's kind of timeless. It kind of just showing that Captain America is a timeless character. It, it's, it's a standalone issue. Like, it's not the start of some major intricate storyline. Oh, but it, it is. is. It is. There are there, there's some seeds planted there, there's but you can read this issue yeah. on its own. Yeah. Like, this is a fine issue to just give to someone that can start it, they can end it, and put it aside if they wanted to. You don't have... It's not like a to-be-continued cliffhanger. And the first half of this issue, you don't even really know what time period it's set in. Like, it, it could be modern day, it could be the past. Like, it, it's until halfway through, you don't realize that it's 10 years ago. And I just feel like that was a great example of Mark Wade showing that Captain America is a character who is just timeless and good in, in any situation, and his his morals and his ethics should just transcend time. And it was one of those, I was reading it, and I was like, this could be a Superman book, and a really good Superman book. Yeah, well, Captain America is Marvel's Superman. Yeah, you could have... you could have spirit. Yeah, you could have flipped either way. It could have been a Captain America book or a Superman book, and, like, the same dialogue could have just stayed in the whole book and just could have drawn it differently. Yeah. Well... I don't want to. Speaking of drawing things, I love Mark Wade and credit to his story, but Chris Samney is the freaking man, and Matt Wilson on colors as well. Credit where credits due. Uh, I love Samney's art, like I said, Daredevil, Black Widow, and now Cap, all amazing. He just has like this kind of classic pulpy style to it, I, and I generally think he's like one of the best visual storytellers out there. Like you could take all the words out of a Samney comic and still follow along. I think there was an issue of Black Widow that had barely any dialogue in it. It was all visual. And we're going to talk about another book later on where, while the art was good, it was I, I didn't feel like the visual storytelling was as good as this issue. But a Samney comic, forget it. Like I, I would love an experiment like that, just to take all the words out of this book and give it to someone and see how well they can follow along. Because it's just... And it's kinetic, and the movement is great. It's like, again, it's like an, it's like an old 60s comic with, you know, the just movement and action and cap jumping through the air and throwing the shield uh can't say enough good things about chris samney and matt wilson on this book you know it's funny is it really works well with the story uh it may not be the style that i love the most i mean like because it's very like you said it's got a pulpiness to it it's a it's a less detailed kind of piece um 
going on with it so things aren't I'm 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 more of a detail guy. I like I like I really like Steve McNevin, but Steve yeah. McNevin's artwork would have not fit with this story at all. Like it just would not have worked. No. That's what I'm saying. Like they 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 wanted to show a return to Cap's roots. And I think that's why if you, if you put someone with a little bit more grit or detail in that cuz detail doesn't always mean grit, but they they do sometimes go kind of hand in hand. I think they just wanted to show a lot of clean lines, a lot of kind of like pastel colors, just to, you know, kind of comfort people and show that this is, you know, this is the Steve Rogers that that they knew and loved from long ago. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I agree. I like the trying to think of if there was a panel that I really liked. Um, I know they weren't Hydra agents, but I did like I like the action sequence when Cap throws a shield in the second half of the book and cuts off. The front of all the guns because I don't I don't that, I don't think that's possible, but I still think it's really cool and it looks cool. That's a that's a great one. One of my favorites I think is earlier in the book when he's first confronting the guys ten years ago. And it's like it's, it's the time you first see him, you know, in in action and he's kneeing the guy in the face and his shield is cutting through the bottom half. It's the big splash page that starts with the caption box "Legends Never Die." That to me, that's Captain America. Like if I'm gonna frame something out of this book, it's it's that page it's a good page what's, yeah. what's what do you that, think what, of the town naming themselves captain america that was a little bit to me that was like a little bit too much well that's where i was like oh this is a superman book that's where i was like you know because there is there's they have there's a smallville in illinois i think yeah and they have superman day and i was like i was like man i really hope some town like when i saw it, i was like oh man i really want a town to do captain america day i think that'd be awesome yeah, that would, and I think that this, they could have done that in this issue. They could have just made it Captain America Day. They didn't need to name the whole town Captain America. It's, it didn't take away from anything. It was just a little bit weird to me. Well, it's the wholesomeness of it. And, you know, you're just jaded. I guess so. I need to read more of more, Mark more, Wade's Yeah, more Captain Mark Wade's Captain America. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. You'll be like, you know what? Orlando needs to be renamed Captain America. I'm gonna no. I'm petitioning to rename it Spider Man. If anything, as much as much as much as I love Cap. Oh man. Uh yeah. No, I I enjoyed it. I uh you know it's it's weird you know because you had Secret Empire, and then this. So it's like it's like night and day. It's it's. it's I would yeah. call it a soft reboot. A soft yeah, reboot. Sure. I like that it wasn't focused on the negative because we're coming out of Secret Empire where Cap is is, is really in a low point right now because the whole nation just basically saw him as a Nazi fascist. So, you know, there was a part of me that, you know, felt like this book was going to come in and everyone was going to hate Cap and be afraid of him and angry with him. And he was going to have to, you know, rebuild his cred with the people. But instead, they start out strong with this town that loves him even in in the light of everything that just happened. They're still on Team Captain America. They're still having Captain America Day. So that was a bold move to, you know, he's starting on the strong side of things, on the bright side of things. It might go darker from here, but he started on a high point. And uh, I didn't really expect that, but I'm glad he did. And Mark Wade is now experienced with this because he took over Daredevil right after Shadowland where Daredevil was evil, correct? Yeah. Yep. And that was like a super... whole run. That was a super bright... Super, you know, got back to the roots of Daredevil and reset the Daredevil universe after Shadowland went down a very, very dark path. Yeah, and it was even before Shadowland. Like, it was way back into the Bendis run where, you know, Bendis took Daredevil to a really dark place. And then I think Brubaker took over, yeah, and then took him, you know, kept him in the dark place. So Daredevil had been in the dark for a long time leading up to Shadowland. And then Mark Wade took it over and... Again, bright colors, pastels, clean lines, swashbuckling was the word that everyone used to describe it. Yeah, he's a he's a pro at this at this point. Again, one of the one of the better writers that Marvel has right now, and I'm glad that him and Jason Aaron are the guys they have on their uh, on some of their flagship books. How come Mark Wade didn't get Spider Man and Dan Slott did? I love Mark Wade Spider Man books from a few years ago. <laughs> like I don't know, like I still really want mark wade to come back to spider-man because i remember there was there was like a two-part issue of, of amazing spider-man from a few years back that mark wade did where peter parker is like riding the subway and while he's on the subway you know shocker 
you know, attacks and the subway breaks down and he has to do like a quick change into Spider-Man. And he's literally underground, like covered in rats, his costumes all tattered. And it's this great little two-parter that just shows, again, the essence of Spider-Man to me. And uh, I-, I would love to see Mark Wade do the do Spider-Man. Maybe maybe him and Samney will take it over. Maybe that'll be their next project after Captain America. You know, if Dan Slott leaves Spider-Man, I think that'd be a, this would be a great team to put on that book. Oh, man, you bring me back to the show and 18 minutes in, I'm bitching about Amazing Spider-Man. When we're not even talking about Amazing Spider-Man, so I mean, I feel like I'm getting better. I feel like I'm maturing as a man. You don't even <laughs> want to get into this right now because, like, I, I I I I bailed on Amazing Spider-Man again. Truth be told, like I, I cut it. I cut it at my local shop. Like I can't anymore, especially because when Legacy started, the first issue of Amazing Spider-Man ended with literally Spider-Man in his inner monologue saying, "Who cares about Peter Parker?" Like, come on. Peter Parker cares about Peter Parker? Apparently not, because, <laughs> again, Parker Industries is, like, gone now, and literally everybody hates him because of everything that happened. So Peter Parker is basically back to being a nobody that everybody hates, but even worse than he ever was before. So basically Spider-Man is just like, well, at least my Spider-Man life is going okay. So who who needs Peter Parker? Who cares about him? I'm Spider-Man. And it just goes to show that Dan Slott... It is he doesn't care about Peter Parker. You have to have both sides of the coin. You can't just have the superhero identity. You have to have the man behind the mask, and he just doesn't respect that at all. I might be having a conversation with Joe Casada in the next couple months, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna have some tough questions for him. You know, I know he no longer is. I mean, he's no longer an editor of Marvel, but like, you know, he made a decision. It was on his watch that he decided to go down a certain route. And, uh, you know, I need some answers. I don't know. I, I, I think we tapped into something here, though. I mean, I really i am looking forward to seeing what Wade and Samney do on this Captain America run. But I think their next project should be Amazing Spider-Man. I, I think that's a brilliant idea. And I'd be back on board. A hundred percent. Yeah, we should petition. Everybody starts a petition for all sorts of random things. Um, we, we do. We got to jump on change.org or whatever those websites are. <laughs> Oh man, that's crazy. Um, yeah, no, Marvel's Marvel's doing a few things. I mean, again, I I still picked up my subscription that was like two months old, and it was full of like Marvel and DC books, and I and it was probably equal. I wanted to like separate the piles since like I had a whole bunch of metal tie-ins and I had a whole bunch of legacy stuff, and I wanted to just calculate to see who who was cheaper because I know it was probably DC by a lot, but I wanted to know like how much more was I paying. Marvel books compared to DC and that's the one thing is Marvel like now that they're owned by Disney they need to lower those prices like I should not be paying $4.99 for a book and I saw a few of those in my pile and I was like snap it's ridiculous and it's all it's all character based like you'll take a a Spider-Man book and a I don't know Miss Marvel book or a Squirrel Girl book or something like that and it's the same size same number of pages and the Spider-Man book's going to be, you know, a dollar or two dollars more expensive. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I like what DC did with the two ninety nine, you know, across the board. Yeah, because yeah, you're paying again, six bucks. Really you're paying six bucks for an oversized issue, but you still feel like you're getting more because they come out twice a, twice a month, right? Yeah, they come out twice a month. Yeah, so you're paying six bucks for forty pages. Yeah. I mean, it's it's you still feel like you're getting more for your dollar. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to turn this into another Marvel marketing bitch fest because I, I was I was coming on today to just praise Marvel because I really enjoyed this book a lot. So I I, I don't want to go down that particular rabbit hole. No, it's too really. Deep, it's, I, I mean, I, that's I, the agree. thing is like there's a really good story and stuff like that, but then like the lenticular covers like just bother me beyond. All. Like I was in Emerald City and they said, you know, they had a thing like if you buy a lenticular cover, you get the non-lenticular cover for half off, and I was like. Who wants to spend whatever that is? You know, I mean, like, what? I don't yeah. know how much a lenticular cover was. Were they four ninety nine or five ninety nine? I can't remember off the top of my head. But I'm like, who, I, who I agree. wants to spend I, I eight think bucks? The lenticular covers. Yeah, they don't look good. I think no, they don't. I, I, I'm not a fan, and I hate the scratchy. You know, I just hate the material. Like Brooke knows that that sends a shiver down my spine, so she always finds them. She likes to scratch them to just 
drive me crazy. I hate them. But the the simple answer to that is even though they're kind of BS and I hate the whole notion behind them, just don't buy them. I mean, you don't have to buy them. I, I, I go out of my way not to buy the lenticular covers. You know, you don't have to buy the Chase variants and, and all that other stupid, you know, stuff that's out there. You have an option at least. And, it, you know, if people would just stop chasing these things and feeding into this, then, you know, it would it would maybe solve the problem on its own. Because they're not worth any money. I mean, it's not like they're going up in value. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, I don't I don't get it. I was going to check because I, like, went through, like, all my comics and was organizing it. And um, I have a Thor variant cover from the first Thor film that came out. So it's, like, Chris Hemsworth on the cover. It was, like, a 1 in 10, yeah. one in 10 variant. I was like, I was like man, I got I to gotta do something with this because, like, it's actually now it's something. Like, I wasn't a fan of, like, the movie covers. But, like, now that Thor Ragnarok came out and we're so far removed from it, I was like, like, this actually looks pretty sweet. I think it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. There there are uh I I, I don't want to like you know, I'm not perfect either. I've succumbed to some variants here and there. I, I'm a big fan of Scotty Young variants, obviously. I got some movie variants as well for uh, for Star Wars and you know, there are some, but I, I think we can both agree that it's gotten a little out of hand for the most part. The, act- they don't, they the don't. action figure covers bother me to no end. Like that is just I could I can't stand it. It just like I understand there's an artist. We we I saw the artist at Star Wars Celebration. He talked about him, and I was like, I appreciate you as an artist, but it's the laziest form of cover ever. Like it's well, I think the movie cover variants are the laziest form, but then the action figure covers are the next form of laziness. Yeah, I I can't uh, I can't say I'm a total fan of those either. Even those kind of you know it was a cool notion making them look like the Kenner figures for Star Wars and whatnot. And then they started like creating new action figures for characters that never had action figures before. But again, just don't buy them. I, I would I would I would recommend to everybody out there just instead of complaining, just just don't buy them. If 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 you're gonna speak with your dollars, Marvel's gonna listen. Don't be like, oh, I hate that I have to buy this. You don't. You don't have to. So don't. Anyway. Speaking of commerce, we have this lovely independent book from Image Comics, Port of Earth. And it's all about business. Yeah, but we also, we we never rated Captain America. Ah, I had this amazing transition. You did, but you just, we completely, we went down, we went down a rabbit hole and we just completely forgot to rate Captain America. Ah, um, uh, am I a monkey or am I a robot? You're a robot. Has it been that long that you can't remember? <laughs> You're a robot. Uh, it's a solid four out of five for me. Four out of five. Uh, I'm going to go 4.5. I really liked it a lot. I'm going 4.5. If there was a little bit more of a cliffhanger at the end, like the little bit more notion of like stories. My, again, my, I'm always going to say this. My thing is I want to like really read the next issue. I really want to want to read the next issue. And this is kind of like a complete story. It's a good complete story. But again, you know, there was like a little hint of like some mystery in the book. And then if they like dabbled a little more, gave me a shadowy figure in the corner, I would have been like, oh, my God. And they didn't. So. I, I want to read the next issue. Not ba- Again, not based on the story because there wasn't a big cliffhanger or anything like that. But I just want to keep reading because just the tone of this book got me hooked. Anyway. Now that we got that out of the way, rewind about, you know, 30 seconds. Speaking of commerce, great little indie book, Port of Earth number one from Image Comics. There we go. Back up to speed. And we yeah. talked to this guy a couple months ago, yeah. didn't we? Yeah, Zach Kaplan. We talked to, talked to him on uh, episode seven of the show. You can go back. You can listen to it. We talk about Port of Earth and a bunch of other awesome sci-fi stuff. Uh, he's been hyping this book real big. It's finally out. We have a written review of this up on the site right now, written by Brandon Griffin. You all know and love from this show, Nons Time. And basic premise, as we talked about with Zach, is that aliens have come to Earth, not in peace, not in violence, but in business. And they want to open a port. And they do. They open a port off the coast of San Francisco, where aliens can come and refuel their ships. They run on water. Yeah, it's, it's a gas station. Basically, gas they put station. a gas station on Earth. For intergalactic highway yeah. and shit. It's a happen. Chevron. Yeah. 
as they say in the book, is basically Chevron for aliens. Uh, and I I enjoyed it. So this book, I, I didn't, I honestly, I, I was looking forward to it, but I didn't know what to expect. Because I'm like, oh, so it's it's a business thing, because that's how it was being pitched. But by the end of the book, you kind of realize, oh, this isn't exactly what you thought it was going to be. Like, there's a little bit more more action, a little bit more mystery and intrigue coming our way. It almost feels a little like it could go in the direction of alien noir. We know Kaplan loves his, like, noir. And uh, I, I really like... I like the way the book, the way this book ends. You know, the majority of this book, the first half of it is is exposition. It's it's exposition heavy. There's a lot of background information, just a lot of captions and and whatnot. And then even towards the second half of the book, it's a lot of a lot of talking, a lot of business stuff, blah blah blah. But but then that ending hits, and you know, it's not really a spoiler, but it's like you know, you kind of realize that there's maybe aliens that have come to Earth a different way, and, and uh, that aren't aren't really welcome here. And we have some of these ESA agents that are going to have to work on this case. So I really like the direction this book's going. It's almost like a bait and switch. Like they, they kind of just like, oh, this is a book about business and space business. And then they're just like, but then you have a little bit of mystery and a little bit of guns. Yeah, I didn't think it was about business the whole time. I, I didn't think it was going to be a boring book. I, I, I knew that once they laid the ground rules that like aliens aren't supposed to get off the port. I was like, aliens are going to get off the port. Like. <laughs> like, yeah, just, yeah. like you didn't even have to say that like hey humans aren't supposed to go on the port and aliens aren't supposed to get off the port like i was like oh this is gonna be chaos like there's the it's those you have so many different things that could go in there you know whether it's uh humans spying and stealing technology or you know alien pirates or whatever there's there's so many possibilities once you set up like that dynamic of like you stay on this fence and i'll stay on that fence and like nobody's gonna stay on either they're gonna be all over the place and intermingled and and it'll be interesting to see, you know, what the aliens look like. There's some, you know, the alien designs were decent and like what the technology is like. It was it was an interesting book. I needed one more page. I needed one more page. Of what? Because the way it ends, like, because it ends with them going into the cave, right? Yeah. I mean, I just read it. I mean, I don't know why I'm asking you. Uh <laughs> But I needed, again, like when I was talking about with Captain America, like I needed a little bit more to like tuck me in. Like I was like, oh, the guys are going to walk into a cave and there's going to be an alien there. Or there's not going to be an alien there. I'm like, ah, I don't know. Like, So you wanted like a reverse camera shot like we got the last page was them walking into the cave. You wanted one more page from the reverse angle that shows what they're walking into and maybe what they see in there or or just or just maybe just like a clip. Uh, well, there's like because of- so there's the. There's the business side of the port, like those the 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 aliens that basically manage the port, um, you know they're shady, um, and then you got like it looks like you got some smugglers coming in, and then you got like some important people are coming to town, and so there might be possibility of the you know the sh- the the smugglers or the or the bad guys blowing up the new people. So there's a lot of different possibilities that could be happening of what's going on. Um, you know, my brain was like, just started thinking about what those different personalities or those possibilities were. And I was just like, ah, just, it's too, it was too vague. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I kind of get what you're saying. I didn't feel the same way, but again, I am more than happy to see things from your point of view. That's why we have these conversations now and now, and now I see it that way. I don't know. I, I thought that there was uh, but you have that mystery still in your brain, right? You just set it up in your brain. You said, I'm curious about this. I'm curious about that. So it's not like, you know, those questions aren't there. You have those questions set up. But I'm trying to figure out what possibility is going to keep me interested in this reading this book, like out of all that stuff. Like where what is it going to be? What is it going to be that I'm going to be like, oh, that was really awesome. I really want to read more of this book. You know, like that. But the the mystery of not knowing doesn't keep you interested. No, because there's not enough. There wasn't enough characters introduced. You know, like there's yeah. So the, I there, that's why I'm like, okay, you got these, you got these two guys, and one guy is kind of following the rules, and the other guy's like, oh, I'm not following the rules, and there's because they're kind of like the beat cops, and I, and so like one guy has figured like they have these guns. And these guns are supposed to incapacitate aliens, but they have potential of using lethal force. And, and one good cop has figured out how to rig it so he can use lethal force. But we don't know, like, 
are the people that are in the cave, are they sympathetic? And they're going to be like, hey, these port people are evil or the port aliens are evil and they're taking over the world or whatever it is. And it's like an uprising against the port people or is it, you know, I mean, there was, there was too many possibilities of what could be happening. Yeah. Uh, well, whoever's in the cave seems dangerous. They don't seem peaceful to me because they killed that one guy. They found the body. I'll agree with you that the characters were a little, I don't even want to say weak, but just, you know, they, they weren't, the main characters weren't introduced until very late in the book and we didn't get too much about them. They seemed kind of very shallow archetypal kind of characters. You know, maybe if they were introduced in the beginning and it was focused more on them. But again, this is just issue one. And now that we got all that exposition out of the way and we're caught up, you know, Kaplan will flesh these guys out in issues two, three and so on and so forth. And, you know, maybe they won't feel so kind of so, so shallow. You know, like you said, the one guy always the good cop. The other one's the bad cop. One of them has the girlfriend that's obviously going to die just because they set that up so so perfectly for her to die. Yeah, uh, and I also, like, the second to last page, I zoomed in on their, like, their decoder that showed the profile of the alien. I can't, it kind of looks like the species is called Quill, or, like, Q-U-E-L-L. Yeah, they say it. Oh, okay. Um, Co- sorry. Codal. Codal. And it says threat level 94% hostile. And Yeah, again, it says, they say in the dialogue, they say it's a red Right, level. they said a red level threat, but I don't know what the red level. I mean, like that's just a that's a generic term. I mean, like, but I'm just trying to zoom in to see if there's anything else in there. It says average dimensions two point five meters, and it says which point. is awesome. How cool is that that they're like they're fleshing out this world so specifically that we're getting like yeah. average sizes and stuff. Yeah, I mean, like that's there's a lot of cool technology in there. And, like, or technology conversation in there. That's what I meant to say. Yeah, they're really fleshing this world out a lot. And uh, I want to, you know, Kaplan set this whole thing up, and he's the architect of this world, and he's the one that's putting you know a lot of this in. But artists, we got Andrea Muddy and uh, Vladimir Popov on colors. Uh, I I really like the aesthetic of this book. Like between the the concept and the art, it really feels like kind of a mature, gritty sci-fi story kind of in the vein of like an arrival or a district nine where it's sci-fi it's you know aliens but it's it's not star wars it's not star trek it's like it, it, it's a grounded more more adult kind of sci-fi story yeah andre is like an he's a, he's he's an italian artist and you totally yeah. get like a european feel from the book it reminds me of like it's not not dark horse but like i'm trying to think of the book that was like judge dread it has that kind of feel the artwork where it's that you're like you open up a book and you're like oh yeah that was made overseas that's not from america but the overseas in europe not the overseas in asia right no and it, and it has like that detail and stuff that you were talking about that you look for in a book where everything's uh you know it's not it's not cartoony it's not you know simple kind of art it it, it looks real this this looks like a real world that aliens have just happened to come to and i do love the designs of the few aliens that we've gotten so far and Zach did tell us that they like went through and designed a whole bunch of ships. Like they have all that stuff all like he has a book of ships. Like he said the backstory of this this universe he built is massive. Like just the cataloging and the creation of like ships and aliens and, and all that stuff. So he has like basically like a D and D universe that he built out. Yeah, I think that's gonna be the strength of this book is the world building. Because, you know, sci-fi fans, just in general, Star Wars, Star Trek, they love just, like, learning and absorbing everything about these fictional universes. You know, they you got people out there learning Klingon, and you got people who can name every single bounty hunter in the Star Wars universe. Like, y- your, your key to these kinds of stories is making it feel real. And the trick to that is just building it out in every detail that you can and writing down the average dimensions of a Kotil alien and... Uh, that, that I think that's going to be one of the things that really, really hooks readers here. No, I enjoyed the I, I enjoyed the book and I, I have lots of questions with it. And I would I would definitely like to see this as like a movie or a TV show. Like I was totally sucked into like, give me this as a visual medium kind of thing. Uh, fingers crossed, man. His other property, Eclipse, got optioned. So you, you never know what's going to happen. 
image, you know, if any company is, is great at getting their stuff converted into film and TV, it's image. Yeah, they do some good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> what are you giving this book? Uh, I'm going another four out of five. It's a solid book, but it like it, it didn't there wasn't anything that like took it to that next level kind of thing. No, I'm going four as well. I thought it was a, a really strong introduction, like I said, but now that we got all that exposition out of the way, now that we're caught up on where we are, now we can get into, you know, character building and and story building and all that other great stuff now that we got all this out of the way. But it's a great introduction. It gave me exactly kind of what I was looking for. So, awesome. Matt, Thor Ragnarok came out this past weekend. You and I both saw it. It did? Thor? Came out? Thor, it did. You can read uh, You can read my review on Monkeys Fighting Robots. You can watch your review on Monkeys Fighting Robots. You did a video because you're cool, I guess. I wrote a written review. <laughs> uh, I, I love this movie. I thought that this was the best Thor movie we've had so far. I thought that this was the best Hulk movie that we've had so far. It was, it was everything about, you know, what made Jack Kirby and Walt Simonson their runs on the characters so, so great. You know, I, I said it in my review, it's going to be a cliche, but really the best way to describe this movie is just bright, colorful fun. I, I said that uh, the color explosion will hurt your face in a good way. It will. I'll, I'll agree. I mean, it, and it was and it was funny. It was it was it was like it was great. And I didn't think that the the humor like overpowered anything else. Like I know some people were like, you know, oh, it's a comedy first and foremost. And it's just like, you know, joke, 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 joke. And it is. It's definitely funny, but I didn't feel like it was... I didn't feel like that took away from anything. I felt like the first and second... The first act was good. The second act was great. And then there was no way to recover with how awesome the second act was. So no matter how awesome the third act was, it was always going to feel less than the second act. I'll let you decompress. I'll let you, you know, figure that one out. Yeah, I'm trying to, because uh, I'm just trying to, you know, dissect it in my brain and see if I and see if I agree. Because I don't know. I mean, Marvel movies kind of have a habit of that, right? They kind of have a habit of peaking in the middle and then the end is kind of faltering. But I don't know. I enjoyed it thoroughly, pretty much all the way through myself. Anyway, I thought Taika Waititi did a great job. Did you see that about eighty percent of the film was improvised? Yes, and um, not to toot my own horn, but when I uh, interviewed Carl Urban, he said there's enough footage on the floor to basically make a second film, like just make a whole new film with new dialogue. I can't wait for this movie to come out on Blu-ray just to watch all those, the, you know, the deleted scenes and the bonus footage and stuff like that, because you know it's going to be friggin' loaded with it. It's going to be pretty amazing. It's yeah. I, I'm really looking forward to like just the montage. Of like funny clips. Yeah, I was, I was surprised that like in the credits they didn't have you know kind of you know sometimes during credit sequences they just show a bunch of you know deleted scenes or behind the scenes kind of footage. I guess you can't really do that in the Marvel movie though because people you know you have your after credit sequences and and whatnot. It might dilute the brand a little bit. I don't know. What'd you think of the uh, the Planet Hulk storyline? Because I know that's that's one of your favorite comics of all time is Planet Hulk. This was not a Planet Hulk movie. It was, you know, there was, it was on planet, it was on Sakaar. Uh, there were some Planet Hulk things, um, but it was not like it's, I just, I separate, I separate those. Yeah, no, it's definitely not a Planet Hulk adaptation. Like, I, you know, I hope nobody set their bar too high or their expectations too high because they definitely very loosely borrowed from it. But I thought that the way they did it was great. I loved Korg. Korg was hysterical, voiced by Taika Watiti. And uh, this is supposedly going to be the start of like a mini Hulk trilogy. Like, I guess Mark Ruffalo talked to Kevin Feige and whatever started in Ragnarok is going to carry on through Avengers Infinity War and into Avengers 4. And it's kind of going to be like a little secret Hulk trilogy hidden within these bigger Marvel movies. So I don't know if we're going to be maybe Avengers 4. We're getting World War Hulk. I don't know. I don't know. Korg. And this is this is where... This is where my Planet Hulk rolled into that film. If Taika Watiki was anybody else but Korg and did his shtick, I would have been completely happy with it. But Korg has an epic speech in Planet Hulk 
that makes him who he is. And because Korg actually, he fights Thor in Journey into Mystery eighty three. He's one of the rock got rock guys that Donald Blake when he racks the stick he like fights him and they take off. But it's the introduction of Thor. And you're like, oh, who are these rock gods? They were kind of like throwaway characters. So when he ends up on Planet Hulk, he tells this tale of like, I fought the god of thunder and he chipped my you know chipped my shoulder, blah blah. blah. But like, I've battled the strongest guys out there, kind of thing. And because they were talking about the machismo of all the different guys that they have fought and all this stuff. And it's it's a really good speech and it's a really good callback to the introduction of Thor. So, yeah, I saw that and I was like, oh, my God, this is an abomination of the character. <laughs> Coming from the guy who a minute ago said, yeah, no, I'm separating this from the comics completely and just not associating them. I get it, but then you asked like a very specific detail. Like I, you know, it's and then I gave you a very specific answer. That's fair. That's fair. I, uh, I love the direction they're taking Thor in this. Like Chris Hemsworth said that he had was bored with playing Thor before this movie, and now I think he's now he's back into it. He's hooked in. You know, he cut his hair. You know, don't want to get into too many other spoilers about things that have changed. If but, you've read the, if you've watched this, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably have seen Thor. And if you haven't, like, that's your fault. Bad on you. All right, fine. We're going spoilers then. Spoiler alert right here. Pause it if you haven't seen it. Come back later. But yeah, cut his hair, lost his eye. Mjolnir is gone. And it, like, doesn't come back by the end of the movie. So we have, like, a whole new status quo with Thor here. I know in your in your review, you said something about how the shards are now on Earth of Mjolnir and how someone can put them back together. Don't necessarily agree with you on that. Don't think that's the direction they're going to go. But who knows? Well, I'm letting you know. I mean, it's a loose end that they could spin off in any way they want. I mean, that, that's what I was saying with that. And I was like, oh, they could do Jane Foster Thor if they wanted to. Or they could do uh, Throg, the Frog Thor, if they wanted to. I mean, like, they could do That they could do. Because <laughs> I think his hammer is made from a shard of Mjolnir. So yeah. they could do Throg. <laughs> That's a very real possibility. I don't think we're ever going to get Jane Foster unless they recast. I think Natalie Portman is done with this franchise. I think so, she said that she would come back if she was Thor. Did she? I don't know. I think we're going to be... I don't, I'm really interested to see what direction Phase 4 goes. Because I know we're, we're definitely losing Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man very soon. Like, he's he's out. You know, I know that Chris Evans has kind of gone back and forth saying, like, you know, oh, I'm kind of done after, you know this movie and then he's like oh no i want to come back and you know i think we're going to be phasing out the original avengers relatively soon you know between iron man captain america and thor so but I, i'm interested to see now that you know hemsworth said he's been rejuvenated maybe maybe we'll get more who knows maybe we'll get to see asgardia on earth like we did in the comics well that's the, that's the thing is is money trumps everything money always trumps everything and the third thor film made twice as much opening weekend as the original Thor film. So they've they've hit a nerve cinematically with viewers that got people in that bought in to, to the film and they came out in droves and this movie is going to make bank. Basically every movie that has uh, an opening weekend over $100 million makes $300 million at the box office domestically and then it, this had a huge opening overseas, so we're looking at this film doing, you know, eight to nine hundred. I don't think it could do a billion, you know, but if it makes a billion dollars, like, guess what? Two years from now, you're probably going to get another Thor film. Like, or, or, or they're going to figure out how to make another Thor film so that they get a shit ton of money because nobody's going to walk away from a billion dollars. I'd be down with another Thor film. I don't, you know, you also have the advantage with the cinematic universes that, you know, Thor's story could just continue in the Avengers movies now, you know, or or maybe, you know, if we don't get another Iron Man or another Captain America movie ever again, we can get them popping up in other movies. Maybe we'll get a secret Avengers movie and that'll be the next Captain America, quote unquote, you know, installment, even though it's not technically a Captain America movie. So there's a lot of different directions you can go. But because if you think about it, they're kind of going in a direction where Tom Holland, Spider-Man is going to be the new Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man. He's going to be the new face of the franchise. And then you, know, you got Black Panther, Doctor Strange. Like, 
that's kind of like the next, this is the next wave. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like if they did phase out the old guard to bring in these new guys, I don't know if they have the same, same chemistry and the same dynamic that, you know, Cap, Thor, and Iron Man had. But I don't, said, think, might, the, I see, just, I don't think those guys have chemistry at all. They, they haven't really been seen together. Like Cap, Thor, Iron Man. I don't think there's a chemistry between those characters at all in, oh, this, in the Marvel through Cinematic them, the old guard. This Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think there's some good banter with uh, Janine's older brother, Mark, uh, Ruffalo. Um, and like I think Ruffalo. He, Why do you keep mispronouncing his name? Ruffalo. No, I because I know it's not Janine Garofalo's brother. It's a joke. And you're the one who's got like his little Fu Manchu now. Is like I'm gonna be all serious in French. <laughs> I just want to make sure that we have some credibility over here. Um, we're at the 50 minute mark of our podcast. This is where we go into tangents and mumbles. Okay, this is what you get. This is what you get when you bring me on the show. <laughs> Tangents and mumbles. That's what happens. But I think Mark Ruffalo, 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 Ruffalo. Um, I think him and he can banter well with anybody. I think he's a good bounce off uh, character. Um, I loved when he was pretending to be Tony Stark on Sakaar. I think that's one of the better moments when he's just bad shit crazy. Uh, mad scientist. Um, and I'm trying to think of, and cause Robert Downey Jr. is like an alpha male. And then Chris Hemsworth, he's kind of like the frat boy kind of like, ah, eh, just go with the flow. Kind of like a, I'm like water kind of guy. And then Chris Evans is kind of involved into this, like the awkward third wheel guy. But that's his character. Like, I'm not even going to say like, he's less, you know, charismatic or anything like that or less dominant. And he's, I think that's just that's just the way he plays Steve. He's very like you know he's old school. He's reserved. He's quiet. Like he doesn't have the the swagger of the other two, and that's just inherent in his character. Like Captain America in the comics doesn't have the bravado of Tony or Thor. Yeah, I really enjoyed Thor Ragnarok. It was fun. It was it was a lot of excitement. I mean, it was super jokey. I mean, and this is what I, I even asked said this myself a million times. I was like. Was there a joke I didn't laugh at? And I was like, no, I laughed at them all. I was like, was that make it too funny? You know, is it too funny if you laugh at everything? And I was like, no, I enjoyed all those jokes. So it wasn't too funny, but there still was a shit ton of jokes in it. Do I want a brave? Did you have a favorite? Do I want a brave heart? Um, because I, I, I know my favorite. I knew mine as soon as the movie ended. I knew my favorite joke. Um, did they during the movie say good for you? <laughs> no, I don't remember anyone saying good for you. I think I think somebody says that in there. Cuz I was like, wait a second. Uh they just said good for you. Uh but I don't know. I'm going I'm going to go see it a second time so I'm going to have to keep an ear out for it. Uh, mine was mine was the snake anecdote that he told, which was definitely 100% improvised by Hemsworth. You could just tell the way he was telling it. The, the, the snake. Loki snake story. Oh, the Loki snake story? Uh, yeah, that to me that was just a circle, just the way he delivered it. I, I, the funniest thing for me was pretty much off the bat when, when Matt Damon is playing Loki in the film. That was, I'm surprised that like that never, that didn't leak anywhere that no one, you know, and I still haven't, it hasn't leaked. Even the movie's been out a couple of days. And no, I, seen I any, saw, like, I like, saw a few things where people were talking about it and I, I wanted to go I through did. who else was playing different characters. Cause there's a couple well-known people playing, you know, all the characters on stage. I thought that was really funny. Um, yeah, Sam Neill. Sam Neill was up there from Jurassic Park and uh, Taika Waititi's other movie, Hunt for the Wilder People. Yep. And I think one. Of, I think the guy playing Thor was Hemsworth's brother, right? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I, I didn't do any research yet, so I mean, like, yeah. Uh, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's his other brother. Uh, I don't know. I. <laughs> I think the funniest joke for me, I, don't, I like, I'm a, I'm a physical comedy kind of guy. So there's the one where like Thor wrecks himself with the ball, the metal ball. Um, and then I also like when um, Bruce Banner splats on the rainbow bridge. Yes. 
<laughs> I was like, oh, man. Um, there was some great physical comedy during the fight sequence between Thor and Hulk. There was some good comedy. Yeah. No, that it's all about... You just go see that for the fight, and it's all worth it. Um, it's just a weird... It's a weird movie. It's a fun, weird movie. There's so much weird shit in that movie. It's hilarious. It is. I like the direction that the MCU is going right now. They're They're kind of putting a little bit more... I know some people might argue differently, but I feel like between... Between like Doctor Strange and Thor and Guardians, you know, we're getting to see different types of movies. And I feel like they're putting a little bit more trust in some of these filmmakers. They're letting guys like James Gunn and Taika Waititi do what they want to do. And we're getting a little bit, you know, more unconventional stuff going on. Hopefully we see that going forward. Oh, yeah. That was the other thing. It's like I even though I like wrote the story, I still forgot Doctor Strange was going to be in the film. And I thought that was funny. Um, I thought that was interesting. It was. Um, and he's made like real progress. Like, I, like they kind of now when we see him next in Infinity War, we just we know that now he's a master of the mystic arts. Like he's not the noob that we saw a year ago. He's wearing the eye of Agamotto again. You know, he picked it back up. So they kind of jumped ahead and showed us the progress that way. When next time we see him, we're not surprised at how good he's become. Yeah, no, it was fun. It was fun. It's a good film. Um trying to look up to see what i gave it i mean i'm thinking i'm i'm thinking i gave it like a 4.2 kind of thing you know out there because there was a lot of good stuff in that film it's just, it was fun it was a fun film and like i think it's exactly what i was looking for in this film i i i don't think that uh i don't think it could have done anything else i gave it a uh, 4.3 4.3 I gave it a four in my review, so I, I agree. I thought it was it was fun. You know, was it's not like you know going to redefine the genre, but I thought it, same thing. It was exactly what I wanted. Uh, and if we get another Thor movie, I'm totally on board. All right, Matt, this was great. Glad to have you back on the show. I'll talk to you again next week. Awesome, my friend. Have a Hopefully. great week. <laughs> have a great week of comics. Once again, there are several ways to continue the conversation after the show. Follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots. You can look at all our silly photos on Instagram at monkeys fighting robots. You can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Sardo. My co-host Anthony is also on Twitter at the underscore great underscore ace. The biggest compliment we receive is when the subscriber number goes up on Blog Talk Radio. If you have a chance, we'd greatly appreciate a review of our show on iTunes. As always, the best way to listen to the show is on our website, monkeysfightingrobots.com. Well, that was fun. Who's for Chinese? There are so many people that made the 19th episode of the comic show on Monkeys Fighting Robots a success. Go check out Uncanny Heroes in Tampa or Lakeland. But Tampa. Go to Tampa. Special shout out to my co-host, Anthony Compasto. The strong protect the weak. That's the rule. Never forget that. That's the rule. That's the rule. Jessica Wynn designed the Monkeys Fighting Robots logo or your monkey or your robot. The staff of Visual Realm built our website and keeps us up and running. To all my friends, family, and the interweb, thank you very much for your support. I'm Matt Sardo, and this is Monkeys Fighting Robots.